these classes are being recorded. And if you go to our, our website or our Facebook page and you find the recording, if you click play on it, there's a place for you to pull down the PDFs of each class. So you can, act, um, and it's the same way with the sermons. If you go, um, all, uh, uh, Billy always makes sure that we have the sermon notes. Well, I, actually, I put them in sermon audio. So if you miss a, uh, a reference to a Bible verse during the sermon or something, you can go online and get the PDF of my sermon notes of what I'm preaching from, and I always put those out there. So if you if you ever miss a Bible reference or something you have a question about or you want to see how terrible I am about sticking to notes, you can go and look at the pastor's notes. And Chapter 2 of God and the Holy Trinity. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's from chapter one. You, you need this one. Yeah, you need this one. Okay, all right. Y'all, get, y'all, have, y'all still have y'all? Okay, we'll go ahead and start. Um, Father, thank you so much for this day, a day that we can celebrate you giving us your son, uh, that we may be saved, that we may know your salvation and joy and hope, uh, joy and hope that this world can't give us. And I am so thankful and grateful for the opportunity to be able to come and gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ and to study your word and to learn about more about you. So, Holy Spirit, we need you to help us to do that. We need you to open our eyes and our hearts to these truths. Help us to remain focused. Help us to think about you, who you are, our holy, holy, holy God. And help us to uh, come to a greater appreciation of how just and holy you are but also how merciful and gracious you are. So be with us now in this time of study. Um, You've heard the prayer requests that have been mentioned before this class, and I'm sure that there are cares and concerns on every heart in this room. Um, Please be with us and and bring us your comfort as you always promised to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So last week when we were together, we were were going through, um, in paragraph one, we were going through all of the verses that were referenced there, and... uh, Roy, I hadn't forgot that you wanted to read the last one from last week, so I hadn't forgot that, and we'll get to that. So let's um, go ahead and get to... Um, I got to see if I still got it marked. Yeah, that he is... I think we got to number 10. Uh, in verse, and uh, footnote 9 says he is in every way infinite and holy, and in footnote 10 it says... Footnote 11, it says, He is most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of His own immutable and most righteous will. And so we'll work on that today. Before we do that, let me remind you uh, that each week in the bulletin, there will be a catechism question. Um, in the, on the, it's on the back page of under the announcements. And this week's catechism question, um, the, the kids in Sunday school will be getting these as well. Um, the question is, are there more gods than one? Are there more gods than one? And the answer is there is but only one true and living God. And then it gives you two verses of scripture that reminds you of that. Um, and again, uh, the, uh, we talked last week and we talked about how the Muslims and the, the Jewish people who believe in the Old Testament would call you and I idolaters that we were worshiping, uh, worshiping another god. All right, and so next week we'll get into the Trinity and talking about what the Trinity actually is. 
Um, but the Trinity is actually a very important concept for us to grasp and a, a very important doctrine for us to grasp and understand. Have you ever, ever thought about the role that the Trinity plays in salvation? What, what, when we say the Trinity, what do we mean? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what does the Father do? What is his role in our salvation? Right, well, they're, they're all equal in power and authority, right? So what does he do? What does the Father do? The Father sends the Son. And what does the Son do? He came and lived the life we couldn't live and died a death we deserve so that we could have a life we could never earn. So Jesus <clears throat> came and did his Father's will and died on the cross to save us. Then he ascended back into heaven and now the Holy Spirit has a role in our salvation. And what is his role? He convicts us of our sins. He convinces us of what Jesus has done for us. And he also confirms that we are his, doesn't he? By regenerating our hearts and sealing us in his truth. And so all three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have a role in your salvation. And the beauty in that is, is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one in being, and three in persons, and in that one being, they never contradict one another. There's no contradiction there. And so that's a very important concept for us to grasp, and we'll get, in, grasp, and we'll get into that next week. A lot of people don't think about the Trinity. We, don't, we just don't think about it. And not only that, you'll find yourself when you pray, a lot of times you, you can pray to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. But when we're praying, we're actually praying to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 reminds us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in our prayers and interprets what we really need as we pray, right? And so there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty in the different roles that each member of the Godhead uh, provides for us. And it, it's important for us to learn to appreciate those things. And a lot of times we don't. And I'll catch myself even when I'm praying sometimes I pray to the Father and thank him for dying for my sins, you know. And the reality is that the Son died for my sins. But it's okay. Like, in other words, God knows what you're praying. But as you grow in your understanding of the roles that they play, it will help you in your prayer life on how you pray. And to remember that you have the Holy Spirit backing you. Yes. Like, he's actually interceding for you. Uh, it says that our, our spirits groan inside of us with groanings too deep for words, and the Holy Spirit interprets those groanings and lifts those prayers uh, through the Son to the Father for us. And it's good to know that he's doing that for us. Uh, so anyhow, and the little rabbit trail there. But today, um, in the uh, what we believe, um, it says God having all life, Glory, goodness, this is on the inside flap of your, your bulletin there. It says, God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and he has the most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatever himself pleases.
In his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the Creator, and whatever he is further pleased required of them. That's a big mouthful. My hope for you is that you'll take that and divide it up into little sentence chunks and think about what each one of those chunks is saying. And if you haven't noticed, each one of those sentences is based on scriptural references, so you can go back in and refer uh, those those references. But let's go ahead and get um, back into uh, the passage we were in um, under the statement that God is most gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, and is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right, that was the statement, um, uh, statement 13. That's where we're, we're looking. So in the chapter 2, paragraph 1, the statement that has the footnote 13 on it is where we are. And we learned that Yahweh is most loving and gracious. He's merciful and long-suffering. Now, last week when we were together, we talked about how God is a holy, holy, holy God. And the reality is, is that we forget that sometimes. We lose sight of that. And we've talked about that several times in the last few classes, how... Um, we have a nonchalant attitude when it comes to our approach to God. We think he's like our high school boyfriend or girlfriend who we can just come up and give a big cosmic hug to, and he's just happy, happy, love, love, love. But the reality is is that God is holy, and he is just, and he is righteous. And thankfully, he is also merciful. So as you read the Old Testament, you, you hear people often saying things like this, well, that's the God of the Old Testament, and we worship the God of the New Testament. And we talked about this last week. What is wrong with that statement? There's only one God. There is only one God, and what? And he doesn't change. So to say that there was a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament would mean that God has changed, that he's different than he was. Right. And we need both testaments. We need the law and we need the gospel. The gospel declares God's holiness and his righteousness. And the gospel declares what? He's merciful and gracious. Thankfully, he is merciful and gracious because if we alone were dependent upon his holiness, we would be a people most miserable indeed because we would all be destroyed. And so that's what I want to look. Let's look at this passage in, in the book of Exodus. If I could get somebody to read that for me, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is uh, the, where Moses is being confronted by God and God is going to show himself to Moses. Okay, 
So God is declaring to Moses who he is. And he said, he passed in front of him, and he called out Yahweh, Yahweh, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Now, y'all see the statement in the paragraph. Where do you think they're getting their facts from? They're actually getting it from this passage of scripture right here. So they're saying, we know that God is gracious, merciful, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, and a forgiver of iniquities and transgressions and sin, because the scriptures tell us that that is who he declared himself to be. So he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. All right? So with that statement, is that more of a declaration of the gospel or is that a declaration of the law? Is that declaring more of who he is as evidenced in the law or in the gospel? gospel. Yeah. He's a loving God. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's caring. But then look what he tells Moses next. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation. How many of y'all have heard of generational curses? Y'all heard of that before? Y'all know what a generational curse is? Have y'all heard of that? Basically, if your father was an alcoholic and his, and his dad was an alcoholic, then generally that curse runs in the family. You know, the birds of, uh, are to chip off the old block, if you will. The, father act, the son acts like the father kind of thing. And the reality is, is there are generational curses, but that generational curse started with Adam and it's been passed on to all of us. And that curse is just expressed in different ways in different people. So with some people it's drugs, with some people it's, um, uh, you know, theft or whatever it be. That sin, that curse of sin expresses itself in different ways in, in different people. And what God is saying is, is that because of sin, because of Adam's sin, and not only Adam's sin, but because we have sin in us, God is not one who's going to let you slide. We don't get away with anything. Right? Like, he is going to, on the, on the last day, he's going to be the judge. And what does Jesus tell us he's going to use his, as his standard for judgment on judgment day? Does anybody remember what? What did Jesus say that God would use when he judges us on the last day. What is the standard that he will use? Well, that's going to be what we're accused of, but we're going to be accused because of the law. So Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you are all putting your trust in Moses. Moses gave you the law, and you're not even doing what he commanded you to do in the law. And so one of the beauties of being justified by faith is is that we're putting our trust not in what we do, but we're putting our trust in what Christ has done for us. And the beauty in that is is that he lived the life that we couldn't. And if anyone, if you ever meet anyone who is trying to get to heaven on their works, which almost every religion out there is, the problem with that is, is that there are no exceptions. One sin and you're guilty of all. Yes, 
you would be struggling because deep down inside you know you have not done enough. Right. You'd be right. Deep down inside you know you have not done enough. And there are a lot of people that are trying to win God's approval by what they do. Yes. The true child of God is doing, but he's doing it because he's been approved. Not so that he may be approved. It's an expression of God's approval in his life. And so the law is a terrifying thing to those who are condemned. Because we see that God is, you see what he says? He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And that's why you and I can be thankful today that Jesus hung on that cross for us. Because the Father took every single bit of punishment that you deserved and poured it on his son. How many of your sins did he have to pay for on the cross in order for you to be forgiven? All of them. All of them. That's exactly right. So how many of your sins have been forgiven? All of them. Even the ones you're going to commit tomorrow. Now, the lost person or the natural man would be like, all right, I got credit to do whatever I want to do now. That's the natural man thinking. The child of God who has the Holy Spirit in his heart is grieved when he sins because he knows that that was something his Savior suffered for. And so the desire is going to want to be to what? To not live that way anymore. And, and the reality is, is that we give the devil a lot of credit for things that he doesn't do, like most of us, us, <laughs> right? We, he, he's just the carpenter. We give him the tools and the, and the projects, you know, like, right, the devil made me do it. And the reality is, is that the child of God knows that it's not the devil that made him do it. It's his own wicked heart. And so... Again, I, I want to overemphasize this fact, but we in our worship service, as long as I'm here, we're going to have a confession of sin in the worship service because you and I, as his kids, we fail him. I failed him terribly this week. I lost my, I can't tell you the number of times I lost my patience with people just asking silly questions. Like, you know, and the reality is, is that I was busy. I was trying to get my work done and people were interrupting me and it was aggravating. Right? I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but you know, he never gets aggravated with me when I come to him with my questions. And so repentance is a turning away from what we're doing wrong and turning to Christ. And a lot of times we've been taught that salvation, we repent when we're saved. We turn away from sin itself and turn to Christ and we're saved. But one of the things about the child of God who has been condemned by the law and forgiven and saved by the gospel is that that person now understands that God is a righteous God and that he wants me to live righteously as well. And so not only is repentance a one-time thing that we do when we're saved, it's a daily routine. 
Like it should be a, repentance should be a daily part of the Christian's life. Like when I lose my temper with someone, immediately I I should know the grieving of the Holy Spirit within me and pray and say, God, forgive me for that. Um, and, And so our repentance is a daily thing. Not just when we come to church in front of all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be when we lay our head down at night. And, and, and so the Holy Spirit will convict you of things that you're doing wrong, won't he? Right? And the difference in you as a child of God and a child of the world is the Holy Spirit is condemning those who are not in Christ. The, he is pointing the law at them and condemning them and saying uh, you will be judged eternally for what you're doing. He will let you know that what you're doing is wrong. Right. Whenever you do it. Right. So with the the lost person, the Holy Spirit is condemning them through the law and convicting them that they might what? Turn and be saved. For the child of God, the Holy Spirit is not condemning you, but he is convicting you. Like the reason he's bringing it up for you is so that you can go back to the cross and go back to the forgiveness that you have in Christ. Yes. And so it should be a daily thing. And, it, and you know, one of the, one of the uh, nuances of the Christian life that we never really think about is, is that the more you grow in his word and understanding of who he is, and the more you grow in your walk with him, the more, the closer you grow in your walk with him, you would think that you become a better person. Like and you do in a sense, but the reality is, is the closer you get to Him, the more sensitive you actually become to your sinful nature. Like you become more and more aware of things that you're doing wrong. That's a good thing. For a lost person, constantly reminding them of what they're doing wrong is a nuisance, and they don't want to hear it. For the child of God, it should be a comfort. God loves you enough to remind you that you're walking away from him. You see how that works? And so this passage is teaching us uh, that God is not only a loving and caring and compassionate and kind God, but he also is a just and a holy and a righteous God. And we always need to remember that. All right. Um, Just and terrible in his judgments. Um, Or actually... There's another passage uh, quoted there, Hebrews 11.6. After that Exodus 34 passage, Hebrews 11.6. Can somebody find that one for us? Okay, good. So, the writer of Hebrews, which I'm pretty sure is Paul, but you can argue that if you want to. A lot of people think it's different people. Whoever it was, he's one of the apostles, and he wrote the book of Hebrews. Look what he says. God is a, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So unless you believe, you you will not be pleasing to God. The lost person can never do anything that is pleasing to God. Because a lost person, and listen, there are some lost people out there that do all kind of works of gratitude and and give money to charity, like millions of dollars to charities and things like that. But the reality is none of those things are pleasing to God. Why? Because they're not doing it to please God. They're doing it for themselves, to comfort their own conscience, 
to draw attention to themselves for what they're doing. You see how that works? So it says, without faith, it's impossible to believe. So we have to believe. And what do we have to believe? We have to believe that he is a holy, 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 righteous God. And we have to believe that he is a merciful and a gracious God. We have to believe in the God of the scriptures. That's how he reveals himself to us. And it says that he draws, the one that draws near to God must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And then if you go back to the Exodus passage, look what the apostle in Hebrews is doing. It says uh, that he is slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness. Uh, he keeps loving kindness for a thousand and forgives iniquity, transgression. So it's reminding us that he is a rewarder of those who do right. Those who seek him and follow him, he rewards them. And why are they seeking him and following him? Because they have faith in him. Faith without works is dead. Um, a lot of times, I don't know what's going to happen today in our service. It may be just us. I don't know. But generally, there's uh, usually during a Christmas season or Easter season, usually you have a bunch of people that usually don't come to church. They usually show up, don't they? Well, why do they do that? I, 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 yeah, they're, they're trying to please God. And if they're coming in faith, will they please God? Yeah. And are we happy that they're here under the teaching of the Scripture? Yeah, we certainly are. We love all visitors to come. Yeah, that's, that's right. So why are they here? Right? The reason that you and I should be here today, the reason that we are here is because this is the once-a-week opportunity that you and I, well, one of the opportunities that you and I have each week to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's the great commandment. And so by coming and worshiping in a corporate setting, we are loving God and we are loving others. That should be the purpose of us being here. A lot of times that people, well, I can tell you, I, I have family that will go to a communion service tonight, a midnight or a, a evening watch service, communion tonight, that hadn't been to church in, in 12 months. They've been busy out of the world running and doing things, and they just have not had time for God. They're coming. Why? Because it's a tradition, and Christmas is a time that we think about Jesus. And, and so, in a sense, there's some good in that, that they're there and they're under the teaching of the Word. There's some real good in that. But it should be an opportunity for all to check themselves. To remember that we are approaching a holy, holy, holy God, and it's through his blood and his flesh broken for us that we are able to even approach this holy, holy, holy God. And this holy God wants our worship 24-7, not just once a week, not just an hour a week, not just five minutes a day. And I, that's why I'm, gonna, I'm really going to harp on you guys about helping me and joining me in this Bible reading. Like at once, January 1st, we're going to start as a church reading through the Bible together. And I, I would be willing to bet you that probably two or three of you will make it to the end. That's okay, as long as you try. I hope that all of you make it all the way to the end. But the reality is it is so hard for us in this world that we live in to set aside 10 minutes a day to read the Bible. Most people just don't make that time. What about the ones that don't get on Facebook? Well, I... I I have a, I, I put a link in there with a printable copy of the, the whole year 
on there. And uh, we can also, you know, I can leave some copies of it back here on the table for people that don't get on Facebook if they want to follow that way. But I'm not just doing that just to give you hoops to jump through. Like, I'm just telling you, I promise you that this is my 12th year doing this now, and it has been the most edifying and and spirit-building thing that I've ever done in my life. I post it every day, and I don't do it just to brag and boast. I'm posting it because it keeps me accountable to you guys. Like, I'm not going to post anything that I'm not reading myself. So every day that I post it, I make sure that I'm I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not doing. And, but, but again, think about, well, I don't want to steal today's sermon, but think about, I can't tell you the passion and the zeal I saw this week for people coming and getting food, yes. their favorite foods, like fighting over gumbo mix or fighting over biscuits or fighting over the neck bone. You know, like the passion and the zeal coming out in the rain and in the cold. And pouring out hundreds and hundreds of dollars just to fill their stomachs. And I can't tell you the crowds that I saw. And it's sad that people don't come to feed themselves spiritually in the same way. Right? right. And think about your kids. Think about the passion and zeal they have for them presence under that tree tomorrow morning. Right? And the reality is, is that without Christ, their lives are going to be as empty as those boxes they left behind of their toys. We have to know what's important, and we have to emphasize that in our own lives and encourage our kids and our family as well that this is what is important. Like a holy, holy, holy and righteous God who loves us and sent his son to die for us, to forgive us and to save us and to give us the the joy of walking with him in this world is something that that no no holiday, no day on a calendar, no celebration, nothing in this world will compare to that. And so it's very important for us to see that he is a holy God and that he is merciful. And not only that, but that he is a rewarder of those who trust him, those who have faith in him, who walk with him. He rewards them. And when we think about rewards, what are we talking about? Salvation is the main reward that I have a hope beyond this world. Because every one of us in this room know what it means to have our bodies falling apart on us, right? (laughs) And the truth of the matter is, is the further we go in this life, the more miserable it gets. And no matter what you do to try to avoid that, it's going to become a stark reality. I, I would much rather come and visit Miss Jackie around a dinner table after church one day than to go and have to see her in the hospital. And you could say the same for all your loved ones and your family too, or for people coming to see you. But the truth of the matter is, is that this life don't have a whole lot of hope involved in it. So it's not just, it, it's not that God does not provide us material things. He does. And it's not that God does not provide us material blessings. He does. And God watches over us, and he protects us, and he provides for us. He does. All of those things are good things. But when we think about the reward that God gives us, what, what is it? It's a salvation. And what's involved in that salvation and that reward? Yeah. 
You have a peace that passes all understanding. When this world around you is fighting over neck bones in a grocery store, you can know that there is just more to life than neck bones and gumbo mix, you know? You know that there is more than just all of this angst and this anticipation building up for like a four-hour, like, chaos. <laughs> that it's more eternal than this. And it allows you, as his kids, to see beyond all of the chaos to see the true light, to know the true peace, to know the true hope. And so, uh, again, it's very important though, for us to realize that he is a holy, 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 just God that is a rewarder of those who have faith in him. So his holiness and his righteousness drive us to the cross so that we can find his mercy and his forgiveness. And in finding that mercy and forgiveness... We find faith, we find salvation, we find grace. That Ephesians passage, um, for you are saved by, grace, uh, saved by faith through grace, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it says you are saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift of God. And a lot of times we want that it to be salvation. But the gift is actually grace, faith, and salvation, all three of those things are gifts that God has given you. The another gift that I think of is um, the ability to give back. Like you have a, a collection of money service, and it's not a burden to put something in the trade. It's, it's a blessing. Uh, it's a, that's how I look at giving away, and, and that can be extended. That's exactly right. So when he changes our hearts, we become eternally aware of the reality that it's giving and giving that we get. We, we learn that it's through giving that we actually receive. The world flips that on its head. The world acts like little kids. What's the first, one of the first kid, uh, words a kid learns? Mine. Mine. The child of God has learned to say his. And you're set free. You're set free from the bondage of trying to hold on to all of it. You're right. He sets you free and gives you a heart to give. And through that, you grasp one of the deepest keys of eternal kingdom living. Is that it's through giving that we actually receive. That's that. Huh? Yeah, it is better to give than receive. Now, that's hard for us to understand sometimes. You were talking about grace. There's one Bible verses here. It says, the word was made flesh and dwell among us, full of grace and truth. And truth, yeah. And the reality is, is who gave Moses the law on the top of the mountain? It was Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was Jesus was the one that gave him the law. So um, we'll, uh, we've, we've actually run out of time. Um, I do hope that you'll take that, the rest of that and continue to look. 
Again, this will be our third week in this, and next week what we're going to try to do, y'all have the eight attributes down at the bottom, right? Eight attributes or eight divisions of God's attributes. Okay, I'm going to do my best that next week that's what we're going to work on. Um, I, I really don't want to rush these classes. Like, I, I, I want us to kind of just go through them and talk through them and reason through them together. And every topic or text that we're going to come to in the future is going to be premised on what we're learning now. So again, like we talked last uh, weeks ago, we studied the Word of God first because that is the foundation. That is how we know God. That is how we can understand God in His holiness and God in His uh, compassion and grace is how we can understand all that we know. And so the Word is the foundation. And now that we have the Word, what we want to do is we want to get a better understanding of who God is and how we relate to Him and how He relates to us. And so it, it may take us a, a several weeks to get through this, but that's okay. Um, any questions or concerns or comments? Yes. Um, no evening, Monday evening. Yes. Or next week. Yeah, and I'll make that announcement from the pulpit. We will not have, so Christmas Day and New Year's Day, we will not have um, Bible study. Uh, so let me, let's see. We went to this side of the room last time. I'm going to go to uh, Roy. You tell us one thing that stood out to you in the lesson today. I do this because that way I know everybody's paying attention. So somebody's got, you have to remember something that stood out. All right, well, let's close with a word of prayer. Who, who would like to close this in prayer? Okay.